Hi, you're listening to a sermon from Oak Hills Church in Folsom, California. We're so glad you're listening. If you'd like more information, you can visit us online at oakhills.org or phone us at 916-983-0181. Well, as you know, we are in the third week of our series, or you may not know, but we're in the third week of our series. We've been talking these three weeks and for this first series of the summer about the kingdom of God and the idea being that the phrase gets used and the word gets used kind of like inconceivable in the princess bride, but there's may not be a sense of what do we mean by the kingdom? What do we mean when we use the phrase the kingdom of God? So we're trying to explore that together through this first summer series. So if you would stand for our scripture reading Today, and I'm going to be reading from Matthew chapter 13, verses 24 through 30, and then verses 36 through 43. If you want to take a Bible in your chair, and I would encourage you to do so, this is a rather significant parable, particularly given the times in which we live, and I imagine it will be, uh, become apparent how significant, uh, if you can follow along as we read. It's on page 979. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. When the wheat sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I will tell the harvesters, first collect the weeds and tie them in bundles to be burned, then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. Then over in verse 36. Then Jesus left the crowd and went into the house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world, and the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one, and the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father, whoever has, hear, whoever has ears, let them hear. This is the word of the Lord. Maybe see it. Jesus' announcement to the world that the kingdom of God is now available to anyone who puts their trust in him is good news. In fact, it is the very best of news because it is an invitation to anyone who wants it to experience life the way God intended for it to be experienced. And I have found, as we have...
been now two weeks into this series, and as we come to this third week, I have found that there's something about these parables, and there's something about this scene where these parables was spoken, and I think it helps us to realize, to imagine, to take as true that Jesus is and was a real living person, that he is with us, and that he is guiding us into a new way of living in and through these parables. It helps us to realize that when these parables were announced for the first time, he was standing in first century dirt, or in his case, he was in a first century boat, and there was a crowd of people listening to him, trying to figure out what he was saying and what the kingdom of God actually meant. And I think it is good for us to try to get in a similar mindset on our own and recognize a real living person who had truth about the universe is speaking to us. In the words of C.S. Lewis, the real son of God is at your side. He is beginning to turn you into the same kind of thing as himself. He is beginning, so to speak, to inject his kind of life and thought into you, beginning to turn the tin soldier into a live man. And so the goodness of Jesus' life is available to us right now if we will put our confidence in him and if we will trust him and if we will follow him. He will, using C.S. Lewis's words, inject his life and his attitude and his thoughts and his perspectives into us. So the way he responded to his enemies, the joy he carried in times of suffering, the love he had for those in need, the healing power of his words, the healing power of his touch, his attentiveness to the forgotten, the way he responded when he was falsely accused, his example of passion without anger, forgiveness without grudge, hope without cynicism, love without limits, the way he dealt with not getting what he wanted, the way he endured suffering, his way can be our way. And see, this is the life we were made for. And this kingdom life unleashed in people and in churches and into the larger society radically and genuinely changes the world. And this is the good news Jesus announced to everyone who had ears to hear. In the last couple of weeks, we've been working our way through Jesus' important parables on the kingdom of God that are recorded in Matthew chapter 13. And we're not working our way through these parables so we can stuff our heads with more Bible information because not a single one of us needs that. We are working our way through Matthew 13 so we capture a vision of the irresistible goodness of life in God's kingdom available to us right now. And today's parable, as I read, is the parable of the weeds. And if all the chatter about the goodness of God's kingdom feels at all to you like some version of religious Disney World, meaning it sounds cute and it sounds real good, but it sounds terrifically unrealistic, then this parable is precisely the one you need. Because in this parable, Jesus gives insight into how the kingdom of God exists and operates 
in a broken and often ugly world. In this parable, the good news of the kingdom collides with the bad news of the world, and Jesus leads us through the wreckage. And once again, he does the hard work, and he interprets the meaning of this parable for us in verses 37 through 43. Jesus, he says, is the owner of the field, or the good seed sower. The field is the world. The good seed are the people of his kingdom, meaning his followers. The weeds are the people of the enemy. Jesus calls the enemy the evil one. The enemy, then, is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, or the final judgment, and the harvesters are angels. And at the end of the age, Jesus will send his angels And they will weed out of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. So these weeds will be separated and dealt with assertively. And the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father forever. So let's consider how the kingdom of God exists and operates in an imperfect and very broken world. And to begin, let's talk about the kingdom, the fact the kingdom is both here And still coming. A few years ago, the Sacramento Kings, as you probably know, were on the verge of relocating to Seattle. And this bad news was in the air. People were talking about it. Many were concerned about it. Mayor Kevin Johnson and many others went to work to keep the Kings in Sacramento. And their efforts paid off. And the day finally came when the city announced the good news that the Kings were staying. And most everyone was thrilled by this good news. Family outings to an NBA game had a future in Sacramento. And all that goes with having a pro team in a town. And there was excitement and there was joy and this filled the air. And at the same time, everyone realized the good news of the Kings staying did not mean the work was done or the process was over. Not even close. A new arena needed to be approved funded, and then constructed. The team needed new leadership and a new strategy. And most importantly, the Kings needed new players who could put that round thing inside that circle thing with greater proficiency. The ultimate goal, obviously, was not that the Kings would stay in Sacramento. The ultimate goal, at least in the mind of those who are part of the Kings, was to win the NBA championship. So the vision was of championship parades through a remade downtown Sacramento and championship t-shirts for everyone and the label, at least for a year, best in the world. The good news of the kings staying brought with it, in other words, the implication that the journey was just beginning. So the kings are here, but in another sense, the kings are still coming. The process continues. The struggle is real. In this case, it is really real. The journey is long. And each step of the journey is contested by someone or by another organization. And now here's where the metaphor, if it hasn't already, completely crumbles. Because the kings, as in Sacramento, might someday fulfill their ultimate vision. But there's no guarantee. 
Jesus came and announced the good news of his kingdom. And this good news touches everyone and it touches everything forever. When he died on his cross, it looked like the vision died with him. But when he rose out of the grave, he proved and demonstrated he was in fact the one to fulfill God's ultimate vision for this world. When he rose out of the grave, new life with new power in a new world began. And the complete fulfillment of God's vision someday, because he rose, became certain. It became a guarantee, though it's not here yet. And this parable highlights the now but not yet nature of God's kingdom. It is here, Jesus said so, right now, but not completely. God is at work. The beauty and goodness of the kingdom are on display. And if we have eyes that can see and ears that can hear, we will see and we will hear the beauty and the goodness of the kingdom on display and the ugliness of sin and self and evil are also on display. And so now we are holding the tension between the kingdom of God and the brokenness of this world. Jesus is teaching people in these parables who understood farming. And the parable we read says, in the same field where wheat is growing, weeds are also growing. And the weeds here are known as darnel weeds or bearded darnel. For the botanists among us, lolium temulentum is the technical phrase. It's also a Harry Potter spell you can use and it will make things happen. It is a poisonous weed that looks just like wheat in the early stages of growth. Fascinating. They look the same early on. But in time it becomes clear that the Darnell is not wheat. The big problem though is under the ground because the weed roots entangle with the wheat roots. So if the weeds are pulled, the wheat might also get pulled. And Jesus is bringing all this in front of people's minds so they might understand the kingdom. So the workers in the parable ask the owner if they should pull the weeds. And the owner says in verse 30, let both grow together until the harvest. Remarkable teaching. Remarkable insight for us to consider. Let the kingdom of God and the kingdom of the enemy coexist until the final judgment. Both are now at work. Both have followers and adherents. Both are working behind the scenes and under the ground to produce their crops. Let them be. So imperfect disciples of Jesus now coexist with imperfect others in a world severely inflicted with sin and with evil. And I'm confident every last one of us gets this because we live it each day. So just right now, mentally, walk into your world on a typical Monday or a typical Wednesday. What do you see? What do you hear? What do you encounter as you go about your day? What is happening as you go about your day? Most likely, if you look and if you listen long enough, the shalom of the kingdom of God is present 
and growing in some ways. And the anti-shalom of the kingdom of the enemy is present and growing in some ways. So the kingdom of God is here, but not fully. The kingdom has come in and through Jesus, but he is still coming. The kingdom has come, and much good has come into this world in his name and for his glory. But poverty and pain and suffering survive and even thrive in the lives of many in this world. The kingdom of God has come and is near, and much good has come and been done in Jesus' name and for Jesus' glory, and yet our nation is still navigating through the evil of racism. We are embroiled in a national scandal of sexual crime and harassment by men who have taken advantage of their power to satisfy their lust. We inhabit the wealthiest nation on planet Earth, and we could virtually eradicate world hunger if we chose to and if we logistically figured it out, but we choose not to. The kingdom of God... And the kingdom of his enemy are knotted together and in an ongoing struggle and in an ongoing journey. And sometimes, as you know, we ache to reconcile the goodness of God with the brokenness of this world. It's a common dilemma people feel. How do these things exist together? The goodness of God and the power of God with the brokenness of this world. And this is obviously a complicated and mostly unsatisfiable tension. But in this parable, I am struck by Jesus' awareness of the conundrum. The tension and the mess is part of his plan somehow. The wheat and the weeds grow together. And among other things, this speaks to how we as his followers are to function and live and be in this broken world and how we are to deal with the brokenness in a word we're to deal with it like he did, that is, subversively. See, the weeds are not yanked out. We live in and among those who do not know God or follow him and may even oppose him. But we do not create an us versus them paradigm. Wheat versus weeds. We don't do that. We do not attack the opposition or even think in those categories. We hold the tension. We subversively manifest the beauty and the goodness of the kingdom in and among the weeds. Why? Because Jesus, the real living person, did this exactly. And he did this because he is patient. Remember, the weeds, as he says, are people. And he waits to pull the weeds until the end because he wants people to turn to him and find him. So he works under the ground and behind the scenes, and we with him, so the goodness of his kingdom will persuade people to turn to him.
Secondly, as we think about this parable, let's talk about the hidden battle. One of the prevailing themes in all of these kingdom parables are the invisible powers at work in the midst of the visible world. There are things happening under the ground, out of our sight, in the hidden and in the unseen realm. And this might freak some of you out, but hang on and we'll get through it. I remember a Saturday afternoon when I was a kid, I was playing at Graceland Park, which was about three blocks from my house, not very far. And suddenly, out of nowhere, the wind started blowing. The treetops started swaying. The temperature dropped. The benign blue sky turned ominous orange. And a tornado siren blared off in the distance. This sounds like the beginning of a really bad novel, but it's true. So I hopped on my bike and I started pedaling as fast as I could against the wind, into the wind, to get home before the storm hit. And I remember to this day, still, being terrified as I rode home. I felt like I was being followed. Some kind of scary, invisible presence was in the air and on my tail. My heart was beating fast. The wind was so strong, I remember this, I could hardly pedal enough to stay upright on the bike and make any progress. I remember thinking that day, that moment, the world was haunted. And I was small and insignificant and facing powers I simply could not handle. I was certain Annie M. was yelling my name somewhere, (laughs) off in the distance. And the wicked witch was about to swoop down and snatch me and Toto off my bicycle and drag me away to spend eternity with those mean monkeys. I knew it was going to happen. In this parable, Jesus references an enchanted world where invisible forces and powers are at work beneath the surface. Things are happening under the ground, out of our sight, in the invisible realm, and they affect what happens above the ground, in the visible realm. They affect things we can see. He's pointing to the invisible realm and the invisible battle going on all the time. Now, we live in an ironic time in that people believe less in an enchanted world than perhaps they ever have, but they like to watch television shows and movies about enchanted worlds. And with topics like this, perhaps our insatiable need to be in control blocks our vision to see what Jesus sees and think how Jesus thinks. See, we want hard and fast answers, most of us. We want to solve problems. The unknown is uncomfortable to us. We want to know where to put things, if you will, the box or the slot they fit in. So mystery, for many of us, can be rather unsettling. We like to give everything a name, a place, a cause, and an effect. Mysterious and challenging subjects, then, can be difficult for us because we want the relief of certainty even if our certainty is misplaced. So regarding the hidden powers and forces and battles brewing under the ground, 
This enchanted language Jesus is using, and I'm repeating, probably evokes a reaction in some of us. And the temptation is to grab for certainty on either of the extremes. So, well, these are the writings of unenlightened people who thought the world was haunted, but we now know better. There's no such thing as an unseen realm or as a spiritual power or a spiritual battle. One extreme. Or the devil is behind every aching back and sore knee and king's loss. Spiritual powers and battles, in other words, explain everything. That's the cause. These extremes give us certainty, but they erase the mystery inherent in these subjects. If we just take Jesus at face value, there's something going on in the hidden realm. A fight, we might call it. A battle. At least a collision of powers. Listen to how the Bible points to this invisible realm where these powers collide. Last week, Kent talked about the seed that falls on the hard path. Matthew chapter 13, verse 19. Rather astounding verse. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. Think about that. It says something is happening in the invisible realm when someone hears God's truth but doesn't understand it. He's saying there are forces at work in those moments. There's a hidden battle. Another example. At a time in Matthew 12, Jesus was accused of driving out demons by the power of Satan. And in Matthew 12, verse 28, he says... But if it is by the Spirit of God that I drive out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. So a sign of the kingdom of God, Jesus is saying, is power to uproot the forces of evil. One more, Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 12. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Now, interestingly, these words in Ephesians 6.12 follow on the heels of a chapter, chapter 5, where Paul is teaching about how to have kingdom-oriented and Christ-honoring relationships. Is that not astounding? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, powers, and spiritual forces of evil in this dark world. Not saying everything is the result of the enemy, but not saying there is no enemy or nothing is his doing. There are things happening under the ground of our lives. Battles. Collisions of power. Things are not only as they seem to be. We do not have the whole story. We do not know all of the issues. There are powers in play you and I cannot comprehend. We're in over our heads. Literally. 
And so we see the importance of what we've referred to here as kingdom prayer. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It is not simply a mantra in an old prayer in the Bible. Jesus told us to say because it has some sort of magical power attached to it. It is a prayer because this is the realm where things are happening that we can do nothing about unless we pray for his kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. We ask for Jesus' reign. We ask Jesus to break the power and reign over this or that situation. Thirdly, let's talk about the mission of shalom in this broken world. Letting the weeds and the wheat grow together, this is very important, does not mean we passively ignore the evils in this world. The kingdom has come, and there's still more of it to come, so we pray and we do what we can to bring forth his kingdom on earth as it is in heaven, and we do this because this is what Jesus did. The good news of God's kingdom is good news about shalom, about the possibility of human flourishing and of all creation flourishing in every sort of way as both human and creation are brought under God's good and gracious reign and rule. And Jesus models a mission of shalom in a broken world. Subversive living amongst the weeds is a mission of shalom. If we look at Jesus' life and simply follow his lead, we will do what he did. The lonely are loved. That's a mission of shalom. The forgotten are welcomed. The beaten down are encouraged. Sinners are forgiven. This is our calling. This is what he did. The poor are helped. The sick are healed. This is the kingdom breaking out through our mission in the world. The discarded are restored. The hungry are fed. The thirsty are given drink. The demeaned are accepted as people made in God's image. Kingdom mission. Prisoners are treated like humans. Strangers are treated like family. Immigrants are treated like citizens. Sinners are treated with grace. Women and men and Jews and Gentiles and blacks and whites and educated and uneducated and sinners and saints and abled and less abled and Muslims and Hindus and homosexuals and heterosexuals are all afforded the dignity of being a person made in the image of God, kingdom mission of shalom in a world filled with weeds. Mission in a broken world involves speaking and living and acting with love to restore others to wholeness. It's helping others flourish the way God intended for them to flourish. It is speaking and living and acting with a commitment to grace and truth. It is holding our convictions with civility. 
It is having passion with joy. It is active engagement to bring forth shalom with open hands about the results. N.T. Wright, in his great book, Surprised by Hope, puts it this way. It is on the screens. I beg you to follow it. Every act of love, gratitude, and kindness, every work of art or music inspired by the love of God and delight in the beauty of his creation, every minute spent teaching a severely handicapped child to read or to walk, every act of care and nurture, of comfort and support, for one's fellow human beings, and for that matter, one's fellow non-human creatures, and of course, every prayer, all spirit-led teaching, every deed that spreads the gospel, builds up the church, embraces and embodies holiness rather than corruption, and makes the name of Jesus honored in the world, all of this will find its way into the new creation that God will one day make, What we do in Christ and by the Spirit in the present is not wasted. It will last all the way into God's new world. In fact, it will be enhanced there. That has everything to do with you. So I want to talk for just a second about Father's Day. So I was thinking about this idea of mission of shalom in a broken world and this idea of Father's Day and fathers, and more broadly, men, kept lodging in my mind. Seems to me there are things happening in our world today where a mission of shalom is needed. And in particular, I want to just mention, a mission of shalom by men is needed. And this first thing is has been triggered by the dad in me. Don't read more into it. It's been triggered by the father in me. It's been triggered by the person in me, the dad in me, that has three children of my own. And when I saw this in the news, it grabbed me and struck me as something that we as Christ followers and I as a pastor need to think about and reflect upon in light of this idea of the mission of shalom in a broken world. And it has to do with family separation happening with people who are coming into our country. It's the dad in me that has to say something about this. Little children being separated from their parents, unable to be with them. This strikes at the heart, seems to me, of the most important institution in any society, in any country, in the entire world, and that is the family. And as dads, we stand up for family. As men, we stand up for children. And this separating business is simply not okay. Let's secure the border. Let's do what we have to do to secure the border, but let's not ruin the soul of a child in the process. There's too much at stake here. These are not figurines on a game board. These are real people. These are real children who have real souls and real emotions and real hearts, and they're real young, which means what's happening now is going to ripple for the rest of their lives. We have to find a better way 
than taking parents from their children and putting them over here and them over there and then let them deal with it. We've got to find a better way. Another thing that comes up as I think about mission in the broke of shalom in a broken world and as I think about men and Father's Day is sexual harassment. Criminal versions, as in Bill Cosby and Harvey Weinstein, and the other versions, the misuse of power, the wrongdoing by actors, directors, religious leaders. Just to say it, it's wrong. And you know what else is wrong? The jokes that just become part of the buddy clubs we have. And the comments that get made. And the blaming of testosterone. It's wrong. Our sons and daughters need models of manhood. And this has nothing to do with it. One other thing that strikes me as needing the mission of shalom in a broken world, and again, in particular, men walking into this, it's violence and anger in our society in all of its various forms and expressions. The way in which anger so quickly erupts at a little league game and someone's dead afterward. The way it erupts at a soccer game, these parents yelling at the ref, those parents yelling at those parents, and all the while, four-year-olds are playing a game. The way that anger and violence erupts in neighborhoods and on freeways. It is as though anger is considered our right. And it goes unexamined. It's like a native language. It's unexamined until it explodes so big that it does massive destruction. Anger fuels today's politics. It fuels a growing divide in our nation. Anger is what attracts advertisers, so they advertise on certain channels where controlled fights break out because they know we will watch. And anger is just wrong. And as men, I cannot implore us enough to reject it, to see the signs of it, to turn away from it, and to stand up against it. Just like this business of sexual harassment, to call it out, to push against it, to stand up against it. So I want to ask you to close your eyes for a moment. I recognize that we've gotten down into the weeds, if you'll pardon the pun, and dug around a bit. But I just want to ask all of us a question. Where do you see weeds growing? Not so much in your heart or in my heart, though they are certainly there, but where do you see weeds growing in the places you go on a typical day? Where do you see signs of anti-shalom? I want to give you three really simple things to do this week, multiple times, as you think about that question. Where do you see anti-shalom? First, to commit to pray about this. Whatever you, wherever you see anti-shalom, you pray, your kingdom come, your will be done in that situation. Remembering more is happening than we can see or know. The anti-shalom is being fueled by invisible forces. Your kingdom come, your will be done. Commit to pray. Secondly, look around. 
and ask the question, what can I do about this? What concrete action can I take? More specifically, what is the Spirit calling me to say or do or be in these anti-shalom weeds? Pray, look around, and thirdly, act on it. And do something to bring shalom into that situation. Our gracious Heavenly Father, it is our delight to address you as such. Our gracious and good Heavenly Father. Our identity comes from you. We belong to you. We are your people. We are citizens of your kingdom. And we live in a broken world. Give us eyes to turn toward it and see and ears to listen and hear that we might be agents of shalom in the midst of this world and that we might manifest the goodness and the beauty of your kingdom that others may see and turn and find you. And we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.